More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like, I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's Reality starting May 8th on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to today's edition of the Clay Travis and Buck Sexton Show podcast. Welcome in, Clay Travis, Buck Sexton Show. Appreciate all of you hanging out with us. Well, they had a debate, Buck. I'm not sure that it changed anything. We are going to react. We'll open up the phone lines. Our only guest today, Carol Markowitz, who was front and center last night at the Ronald Reagan debate. Um, And we'll see what she thought from on-the-scene coverage there. She's going to join us about halfway through the show. But, Buck, here's my big takeaway. And I'm curious how you would react. And by the way, like I said, open phone lines. If you watch the debate, you can react as well. 800-282-2882. We said going into this debate that really the big picture question here is, is there going to be somebody that goes toe-to-toe with Donald Trump and everybody out there has to kind of everybody else has to drop out. Is there that willingness to do it? My biggest takeaway here is, and it's what I thought would likely be the case. There are two people. It seems to me who are viable alternatives to Trump that could be left standing, throwing haymakers at him coming out of this debate. I think it is Ron DeSantis, obviously the governor of Florida and Nikki Haley. I thought Doug Burgum had a really good debate. Um, I thought that there was a clear top four to me, regardless of how you would assess everybody else. Uh, in no particular order, DeSantis, Vivek, Haley, and Burgum. And Burgum doesn't really have a chance to be the nominee, but I was really impressed with him and, and how logical and consistent he was. Uh, Mike Pence, I thought, was totally... Uh, he's a non-factor. He's done, and he has been for some time. But I thought even more so on the stage. Uh, Chris Christie, he's he's running. I thought you said it. I, I went and looked at your reactions too, Buck. I thought you said it well. There's two guys on the stage that hate Trump, and that's why they're running. Pence yeah. and Christie, like they don't have a chance to actually be the nominee. And so, then, and, and so that's kind of my big takeaway is how would you assess before we dive into the general discussion? What was your biggest takeaway from last night? 
I mean, I, I watched the debate like everyone, uh, well, not like everyone else, but like so many others. And my takeaway was there are three people who are running for cabinet positions, realistically. There are two people who are running out of anti-Trump animus. They hate Trump and they want a chance to take public shots at, at him. Um, there's one person who's just trying to get people to know his name. And there's one person who really thinks that he should be president and can win. Now, I think that pretty much lines up with your assessment too, Clay, except you're putting Nikki Haley in alongside uh, the one person who I think is still trying to really be president is Ron DeSantis. Yeah. Um, you, you're putting Nikki Haley in that category too. And, and I think that's, you know, I'm, I'm persuadable to that. Um, I certainly think Nikki Haley believes that she could win this thing. Uh, now, whether or not that could actually happen, it is interesting. There's some polling that, and her team, this is their primary, uh, point in her favor, really, that she does very well against Biden. There is some polling. Lead. Yeah. Yeah. That, and so we always talk about, oh, the only person who can beat Biden is, and a lot of people think they know the answer, but, uh, uh, you know, the, the numbers right now are very, very indicative that Nikki Haley might be weak in the primary, but strong in the general. And that used to be more of a conventional political wisdom, right? That it wasn't the most solid with the base candidate, uh, who would necessarily prevail or the one the base liked the most. Bernie Sanders, the left wing base liked the most for Democrats. Howard Dean for a while, the Democrat base liked the most and they weren't the general election candidates. So anyway, so my, my breakdown to just to summarize was, I think Ron DeSantis is still running for president. Um, we'll get into I think he had one really good moment last night. And other than that, he was pretty just, uh, you know, solid, but not breakthrough. Um, I think I'm really curious to hear your take on the Nikki Haley Vivek stuff. That got that got oh, feisty. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that got a little that got a little, whoa. Um, so I, I don't know if Nikki Haley helped herself at all in that regard. But I think that Vivek, Nikki and Scott are all running for cabinet positions in a Trump administration. I think that Pence and Christie are running because they hate Trump and want to take shots at him. Uh, and, you know, they like the attention. Burgum obviously is like, hey, I'm Doug Burgum. I'm a smart guy. <laughs> yeah. Listen to me. And then DeSantis. That's my that's my overall for the whole thing. So here's here's the question. And we agree in in many respects. I felt like the debate itself was a lot of parody. In, in a sports context, it's like everybody's like, it's kind of like the NFL. Everybody's two and one or one and, you know, one and two or whatever. There's a lot of very, you know, very close, uh, jumble. And then to me, the question now is what, let's take a step back and think about what Democrats did. In 2020, Democrats came out of Iowa and New Hampshire, Buck, and they were a total mess. And Bernie was actually in the lead. But they had Bernie, that Bloomberg jumped in because people were so unhappy with the options. Uh, you had Joe Biden, Elizabeth Warren, like this big sort of mess. And then as they got ready for South Carolina, basically the Democrat power broker said, Biden's the guy, everybody else is done. And it just ended. Democrats rigged the game for Joe Biden to be the nominee. And then COVID happened and like everything kind of fell apart. But Biden won in South Carolina and it was like, okay, then you go into Super Tuesday. This thing's over. Biden's the guy. If you are of the opinion that Trump should be beaten as about, 
let's say half of the Republican electorate right now in the primary is, then everybody else has to drop out except for about two or three people. And Iowa needs to be, this is my opinion, Iowa needs to be a race of like, there's four or five total candidates, New Hampshire, and then by the end of Iowa and New Hampshire, by the time you go to South Carolina, there needs to be one candidate basically running against Trump if your goal is to beat Trump. Now, I know there's lots of Trump people out there who are saying nobody's going to beat Trump, and I certainly can understand that. I, I can work the math with you. But that is the question for me, because why would Vivek drop out? Why would Chris Christie drop out? Why would Mike Pence drop out? They all get more attention by staying in. I think that they're all going to stay in. And as a result, this is never going to be close and Trump's going to be the nominee. Yes. I don't, you agree? I don't like see that. that. Yes. Yeah. I don't really see. And, and for the people, I, we got a lot of people who listen who are, look, I, I hear from DeSantis, Penn, I'm not sorry, not Pence, DeSantis, Haley, and actually some Tim Scott people who listen to yeah. the show. You know, they'll reach out and they'll say, guys, it's not over. It's not over. It's absolutely not over. The, the contest hasn't even really begun. Not a single vote has been cast. We're assessing the dynamics as they stand today. And the dynamic right now is Trump appears invincible and or insurmountable, but that is an appearance. That is not a reality. That can change, and we leave open that possibility. This is why we have a primary. All of you, and, of course, Clay and I in our individual capacities, get to go and vote in the states we live in and and decide who the best nominee for the party will be. All of that said, the debate last night, it came off as um, cacophonous. Oh, that's a good word. Yeah. Thank you, sir. It came off as a little too, um, I, I think, a, a little more aggressive than it should have, a little more, a little more tension than there should have been, uh, in some different places. Uh, it, it's, and I, I'm not even, I'm not trying to be funny. It's, it was true that one of the, uh, anchors was hard to understand. Yeah. Uh, hard to understand the questions, which was not helpful. And um, she was also asking woke questions. Very left wing questions. She were, um, you know, an MSNBC panelist. Yes. So, I mean, that's just a statement of fact. I mean, I know people can get very sensitive about that, but I, I, I couldn't she understand. She was the Univision, she, Univision yes, employee, right? Univision, yeah. uh, Calderon, I believe. Yeah. Um, uh, she was hard to understand and that wasn't helpful. Um, and, and then I think in a, in a few other places, there was so much crosstalk and it, and you see, this is why Trump not showing up. And this is what I want to get to. Why Trump not showing up seems to work so well for him because it ends up uh, a little bit like, you know, fifth grade soccer, right? Fifth grade soccer for anybody. So I've coached soccer. I've played soccer. You know, when you get to the high school level, people spread out. They'll actually oh, yeah. gonna work on some tactics. My wife is coaching uh, third grade soccer right now. Very cool. I didn't yes. know that. That's yes. awesome. Um, but she she could speak to this. When you're in the third grade, it's usually – Everyone just clusters around the ball. Like you yeah. just have 10, you know, you have 11 kids, 10 on each side that aren't the goalies. And they're just all in this little beehive of activity around Correct. the ball. And that's kind of what it looks like on stage when you have four or five presidential candidates. All They're all right on the ball, fighting for the ball, trying to get attention. So there's something a little bit uh undermining about that. I watched. Did you watch Trump's speech last night? I watched. I have not watched it. it. No, I watched it. Um. Look, he's so comfortable being the showman. And, you know, one thing that I don't think we've really 
uh, factored into all of our uh, political analysis here, or we haven't really discussed yet, because I often say, Clay, look, the incumbency is really powerful. And it is, right? You look at history, incumbency is really powerful. You know what also is really powerful? I was already the guy. Yeah. I already had the job. Like, we haven't come across that very often, where a former president is now saying, give me the job again. But it's not hard to see, you know, when you've been to the big game, it's not hard to think you're going to be in the big game again. And I think there's there's just a perception, uh, a perception aspect there where Trump's standing up there and he's just like, guys, I'm the guy. He looked very comfortable giving his speech. I, I don't think it was actually to the UAW. It was to other auto industry employees, but in Michigan last night. Yeah. And, and Buck, we'll play some of these clips for those of you who didn't watch out there. The other thing I thought, you know, big picture on the um, on the debate, I thought you're right. Cacophonous is the right word. It was a lot of crosstalk, a lot of talking over. I didn't think the audio was great. I also thought the opening questions, like I jotted down, they open with the auto strike. I think that's look, I'm not I understand we have a lot of listeners in Michigan, a lot of listeners in the Midwest who are involved in that strike. And, uh, and certainly I understand why that's important for you I think that's like the 20th most important issue for your average Republican primary voter right now. I don't get the sense that the auto worker strike is near the apex. That was their first question, which felt influenced by Trump, Buck, to me, that they even decided to go with that as the very first question. And then the second question was about the government shutdown. We haven't even talked about that on the program because it's such, to me, a sideshow We know that eventually the government's not going to be shut down, right? So all of this obsession with, oh, my goodness, the government might shut down and everything else, uh, the government's not shutting down forever, right? Eventually they're going to work out a deal. And so I thought they set the tone of the debate as messy because they started in that first 20 or 25 minutes when a lot of people are like, okay, is this going to be entertaining or not? Is there going to be something to be gleaned from this? They started with the auto strike and they started with the government potential shutdown. Both of those I don't think register for most Republican primary voters as apex level interest. Um, certainly we haven't talked about either on this program and this is the most listened to radio program just about in the country. Um, and so we're pretty good at topic choice. That, that to me felt like a miss right out of the gate. And then, um, I just well, felt also, like what, it was, what's a Republican really? supposed yeah. to say about that right now like what what is the that's a, i mean there is that's a good point there's not a great point of distinction i also thought and this is just kind of a, a a lesson in general whenever there was a disagreement allow the disagreement to play out it was like there was a disagreement they're sniping at each other there's argument over an issue and then they just totally pivoted to a brand new issue and they didn't allow the conflict to play itself out yeah. The conflict was actually the most interesting part of the debate. Like, you're going after each other. There are differences being developed. And then suddenly you have the Ilya Calderon lady pirouette in and say, what do you think about the Latinos who were upset about the situation at the border? And so well, we're not even talking about that right right now, right? It was just, it felt very disjointed. It was poorly moderated. I will, I will just throw that out there. There were, there were moderation and structural mistakes, uh, for, for as these debates go. Um, I mean, I already mentioned you know, one of the anchors was difficult. To, I mean, if you can't understand the questions, that's a really challenging place to start. Uh, I, I think Clay, that there should be a there should be some consideration given to the possibility of 
not having so many people on the stage. And that doesn't mean we shouldn't hear from all these voices, but the same way that you have to qualify in order to get on that stage, I think they should do it in, in tiers, meaning, you know, you get four candidates who are the four bottom and the three candidates at the top or some mixture thereof. Yeah. Uh, and break it out over either two. I, I would rather hear one hour with three of them on the stage and one hour with four of them on the stage than two hours with seven of them on the stage. It was really very few takeaways, way too much interruption and, and mess. RNC needs to step in. There needs to only be three or four people on the next stage. That, that's and 800-282-2882. You guys can weigh in. Uh, cell phone service company Pure Talk did something really smart this summer for the benefit of their customers, new and established. Pure Talk increased the monthly data allowance on plans by 50% without increasing low monthly cost of just 20 bucks. That's looking out for their existing customers while also doing their best to attract new ones too. New plan also comes the mobile hotspot. No price increases whatsoever. Is it time for you to make the switch? Monthly plan just 20 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, now 50% more 5G data plus a mobile hotspot. Veteran-owned customer service team all working right here in the good old USA. Pure Talk has great 5G nationwide cell phone service. Dial pound 250, say Clay and Buck to make the switch to Pure Talk, and you'll save an additional 50% off your first month. Again, that's dial pound 250, say Clay and Buck, make the switch to Pure Talk today. Inspiring you to seek out the truth. The Clay Travis and Buck Sexton Show. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carmen and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose Podcast. On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear, navigating the changes in relationships, and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. This conversation shows a never-seen-before side to Orlando Bloom and his unique life journey. I think we all struggle sometimes to really deeply believe that we are enough that we're valued, that we're valuable. You know, we're imprinted by our parents from the age of zero to seven, right? Mm. I'm constantly trying to go like, how do I 
detached from my, this idea of what, do, is, that, is that my baggage? It look like my baggage. I mean, I know, oh, okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back in, Clay Travis, Buck Sexton Show. Appreciate all of you hanging out with us. We are rolling through reacting to the second Republican debate last night. I would say this was for me, Buck, the biggest fireworks moment from the debate. Nikki Haley does not like Vivek Ramaswamy. And uh, I, I think sometimes you can't really tell on the stage based on shifting political allegiances and everything else. I think Vivek saying that everybody but him on the stage was bought and paid for really kind of united everyone in hating Vivek. Not that there's anything wrong necessarily with being the most hated person on the stage, because certainly Trump dealt with that a lot in 2015 based on all the traditional politicians that were up on the stage there. But Nikki Haley went after Vivek. And, Buck, if you remember, after the first debate, um, I think the biggest takeaway for a lot of people was Vivek was the biggest newsmaker in that debate. could be positive or negative. He got an early blip. I think he has since faded some uh, in terms of his momentum. It's It's died out to a large extent. Would you agree with that? The only idea that I could remember from last night from Vivek was on birthright citizenship. He was right which, on that. We'll which, play that at he, some point, too. He articulates it. Yeah, we'll get to that. He articulates it very well. But that's not a Vivek idea. Trump actually was working on that and said he was going to do something about that when he was president. It didn't happen. Um, he says he's going to do it this time. But my point is, it's just it wasn't an original Vivek idea. There are a lot of people who are claiming Vivek has a habit of taking lines from other people. They're actually, um, what do you call it, a ma- mashup uh, of Vivek lines and Barack Obama lines. Have you seen this? No, I haven't. Seen, I, saw the, I saw the headline. I didn't click on it, but I saw it trending on social. I mean, Vivek is using lines that are Obama lines uh, at different points, you know, about. I'm just saying like this is this is now you he'll I'm sure he would say it's just common political language or something. If you watch the mashup, it's uh, not that common. Um, so, you know, that, that that's been a little bit of a challenge for him at this phase. I think a lot of the answers that he gives, look, he's obviously incredibly uh, high IQ. I like the guy. So this isn't like I'm just trying to assess him as a performer on stage. I like Vivek. I think he's smart. Um, but I feel like a lot of the answers all kind of sound the same. Like every answer turns into like, this is the greatest country in the world. And let me explain why it's the greatest country in the world. It's like, all right, buddy, you know, like tone it down. This was a criticism actually of Ted Cruz when he was running in 2016. I remember Rush actually said this too, but people were pointing this out. Like, does Ted Cruz talk about the constitution when he's having his cornflakes in the the morning? Like, you know, you know, slow down a little bit. Um, that that would be, I think, the challenge that he has. But the Nikki Haley thing, because I know we want to get to that. I know I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm going on here. But the Nikki Haley thing, it was weird because it was mean, but also of all the criticisms you could have of Vivek, dumb or making people dumber is not one of them. That's that's not a Vivek criticism. People call him a fake or they say that he's you know too Trumpy and not being honest about it, whatever. He's a very smart guy. And here's – do you want to play this? Here's, yeah, let's here's play what it. He said. This is in 
infuriating because TikTok is one of the most dangerous social media apps yes, that is. we could have. And what you've got, I honestly, every time I hear you, I feel a little bit dumber for what you say hmm. because I can't believe you know, they I'm hear you've Haley got a name. TikTok situation. What they're doing is 150 million people are on TikTok. <laughs> that means they can get your contacts, they can get your financial information, they can get your emails, they can Let get just text say, messages, they can get all I, this of is important. This is China very important for our exactly party. exactly what they're this doing. This is very important for our party, and I'm going to say And what we've seen is you've gone and you've we helped China build, make medicines will, in China, not America. Me, you are now wanting kids to go and get on the social media that's dangerous for all of us. You went and you were in business with the Chinese that gave Hunter Biden $5 million. We can't trust you. I mean, she tried to shove him off the cruise ship there. You yeah. know what I mean? Dude, that was all in. So, and then Vivek, by the way, in his defense, came back and said, we shouldn't be talking personal attacks or whatever. It didn't really register because he said, you're all bought and paid for last debate. And I also think, and I don't know whether you agree with this or not, Buck. I also think it looks kind of wimpy when somebody says something mean and you're like, let's leave the personal attacks out of this. It's like, okay, uh, I get it. Like, to your point, Nikki Haley calling Vivek's Ramaswamy dumb, I don't think it registers because he's not dumb. Right? Like, you can attack Vivek for a lot of things. He is super smart. And so his point on TikTok, I didn't actually think was bad. It is funny, though, that they're talking about banning TikTok while TikTok is advertising during yep. the debate. I mean, come on. This thing's not getting banned. I, I told uh, you all. That, I, I told you all. Remember, there was that whole frenzy for a while. There were the Capitol Hill hearings. I was like, guys, they're, they're not going to ban TikTok. And the precedent that this sets is actually very troubling. And I was really a lone voice on that. And here we are. TikTok has not been banned. And I keep telling everybody, you know, if you want to be worried, if you want to be worried about your freedom and about the future, Google, which is left-wing and authoritarian in its tendencies here at home, has far more impact on American politics, on American perception, on your sec- on your security of your information. Uh, you know, we trust these companies. They know everything about you guys. Okay. And, and they have proprietary information on all of you. Everyone listening to this right now, that is far more concerning to me than, you know, what you're scrolling through on TikTok. And I think Google, by TikTok, the way, to build on that buck, search to cut you yeah. Google shouldn't be able to or, or, or to own YouTube as well. For people out there who I think a lot of people don't think about this buck. YouTube is the most powerful video platform in the United States by far, by far. My kids only watch YouTube. If you are under, you've got YouTube TV. If you are under the age of 40, YouTube is the place that you go for most of your video content. Now, some people still go to TikTok. My thing on TikTok, Buck, would be I would like to see the American assets sold to an American company so it's not owned by China. But I actually thought Vivek's answer on TikTok made some sense. He's saying kids under 16 shouldn't be able to get on social media. I actually don't disagree with that at all. I think their brains are too young. Now, they may sneak on, but it used to be that we made, you know, I, I'm so let me give you an example. I think kids getting on TikTok is more dangerous to me and and TikTok and social media in general at 13 or 14 is far more dangerous to me than 18 or 19 year olds drinking beer, right? Like we won't let kids buy beer until they're 21. I think 13 and 14 year olds being on social media is more dangerous to them than an 18 or a 19 year old buying beer. So I actually thought that, that Vivek's answer on TikTok made sense. So Nikki's attack on that, 
I didn't think was uh, was was registered. Where do you where do you think the animosity comes from? Because I I think and I think it's just because Nikki Haley's been she's she's kind of paid her dues. Yeah, she was U.S. ambassador to the United Nations under Trump. She's been in the game. She was uh, governor of South Carolina. And Vivek has come along, and I believe in most of the polls I've seen, he's either right there alongside her, maybe a little ahead. It's they're they're very close. But I've weeks ago there were polls where he was far out ahead of her, and he's had a breakout and she hasn't. And you know I think these are very ego driven people. There's, there's no way around it. These are people for whom this is quite personal, and they take it very personal. Because it to me, I, I thought she did. Damage to her brand at some level last night to, to say that, like, there are ways to go after Vivek, but to say that I sound dumber every time you speak, like, well, we're not in the seventh grade. You know what I mean? That was a little weird. I thought that they told her, put on your boxing gloves and start throwing haymakers. Because okay, she also did. said it to, I mean, I think that was intentional advice. She also went after Ron DeSantis. And I thought maybe in the, the underrated, most, uh, explosive moment of the debate might have been when, she said, bring it, Tim, to Tim Scott, because they actually know each other really well. I mean, they yeah. are both South Carolina politicians. I'm not talking about, like, know each other in the context of you're both kind of famous politicians and you cross paths every now and then. Like, they would know, I would imagine, both being from a relatively small state of South Carolina and having known each other for 20-plus yeah. years, they would know everything. So when she said, bring it, Tim, it was like when, uh, you know, Two, uh, two fraternity brothers decide to throw down or two sorority sisters, however you want to say it. It was like, there was something deeply personal there where, like, I think Tim Scott was actually surprised that she attacked him in the way that, uh, that, that he, cause he didn't really, Tim Scott went after Vivek, but Tim Scott didn't really go after Nikki Haley at first. And then she was like, well, he hasn't done anything in 12 years. And he was like, oh, really? Oh, we're going to go there. Well, let's just throw down then. So one thing that was in the back of my mind for the whole two hours of that debate as it was going on, you had these seven people on stage. And the only one that I can really recall other than Chris Christie, but for him, I, I, that doesn't really. But the only one who was really pointing out that the leading Republican contender didn't even feel the need to show up yep. was Ron DeSantis. And, yeah. and beyond that, if you're really running for president and you're in the Republican primary presidential debate, there is no other Republican primary debate, meaning, you know, there's not like it's not like uh, two different sports leagues, right? Like this is the yeah. one you're going to this. You're not going at all. The people on that stage, this is why I said I think only one of them is really running for president seem to have no problem with the disrespect that they should feel from Donald Trump not even feeling like he has to show up and not being willing to. There was no talk about COVID, no talk about the COVID spending, no talk about what happened in 2020. If you're a Republican primary contender and you're not going to go after Trump on what happened in 2020, really, and what results did he really get versus what he promised? How are you running for president? Like a better way of putting it is why are you running for president? And right. this has always been my problem with Vivek. Vivek is like Trump is awesome. A plus. I love him. It's like, okay, well, he's already been president. And he wants to be president again. What are you doing in the way? I want him to be my advisor. No, sorry. No one's buying that. So that's what I felt like last night. Ron DeSantis will go after Trump. 
Ron DeSantis will say he's not, you know, man enough or whatever it is to show up and actually debate. You know what I mean, Clay? Like, yeah. It, well, I mean, that, that to me goes to the question here. That is the most important question coming out of the second debate. And this is something that the RNC is going to have to figure out. Why would any of these people drop out? They're not going to. And that to me, Dana Perino is getting criticized for her final question. Like, who would you vote off the island or whatever? That was a big moment. Can we, can we come back to that? Yeah, I think, I think that's important, but that is the biggest question that actually needs to be asked coming out of the second debate is why are any of these people going to drop out? Well, she, she wasn't like who should, she's like who yeah. should be exiled. Yeah. <laughs> who should be She went survivor style. Like who would yeah. you vote off the island, basically? Which, which was mean because anyway, <laughs> it's just like, it was just going to get very petty. We'll, we'll get into that. Actually, we'll probably do it when we come back. We also want to take your calls and hear from, let's try to get a, a diverse, uh, set of perspectives, uh, about how this went last night. So if, if, uh, if I'm, you know, hopefully it's not just going to be five phone calls about how Trump won the night. We know all the polls show. That Trump, you know, is the biggest thing in the Daily Mail. But if you have some other component of it that you want to get into the mix here or some, if you thought somebody had a breakout performance, I don't know, man. I mean, does Doug Burgum have merch? I mean, I'm not going to vote for him for president, but I like the guy. I thought he did a good job. I was pretty impressed. All right, let's talk about the company Legacy Box. It's an example of a great American success story. Founded in Tennessee more than a decade ago, they set up shop to solve a problem for consumers. How to preserve old aging media like videotapes, audio cassettes, film reels, and print photographs. Legacy Box digitally transfers these items onto digital files that family members can watch again. They launched the company just in time for the holidays, providing a priceless gift that so many people enjoyed and treasured. Hands down, it's one of the most thoughtful and sentimental gift ideas. Since then, they've grown and expanded from a handful of employees to more than 200 technicians, all trained to hand transfer your precious memories onto digital files. You choose whether you want a link, thumb drive, or DVD. That's up to you. Legacy Box has done this now for more than a million families, and they're ready to do it again this coming holiday season. Once you send them your tapes, films, and photos for digitizing, they will digitally transfer them all and then ship them back to you along with those new digital files. Get started now with Legacy Box. Use this website and save 40% off their regular pricing. LegacyBox.com slash buck. LegacyBox.com slash B-U-C-K. Memories are a gift that keep on giving. Preserve your priceless memories today with LegacyBox.com slash Buck. Clay and Buck 24-7. Subscribe today. Welcome back. We are joined by our friend Carol Markowitz. She is a columnist at the New York Post. And exciting announcement. Carol's going to be joining the Clay and Buck podcast family soon here. She's going to have her first episode dropping on monday october 9th so if you subscribe to the clay travis and buck section show podcast carol's podcast will be in that feed for your listening enjoyment carol great to have you with us hi guys thanks so much for having me so you were there i mean i i saw you because you were actually the front, front row. row yeah <laughs> so we so yeah. we could all see you um, is that, that must be kind of funny for a second, right? You realize like you were totally on camera every time the moderators were on camera. <laughs> so you were front row in the debate. Um, just any, anything you could tell us about the energy or anything kind of off camera that you experienced from being there? Yeah. So, I mean, everybody I've ever met in my entire life contacted me. So I think that the debate must have had some good ratings. Um, you know, some interesting things for me, I, I guess, like, at home, I don't realize just, like, obviously, these are all supporters of the candidates, you know, almost the entire room. I mean, there's some, like, 
you know, conservative activists who maybe aren't um, specific supporters of candidates and, and maybe some, you know, reporters and um, commentators. But the great majority of the room are literally friends and family of the candidate. And so they only applaud their own candidate. They only shout out their own candidate. It's not like a natural thing. Like you could be watching the debate with your friends and you might like one of the candidates more, but you're not going to say, Oh, this candidate isn't, isn't saying something I like. If they say something you like, you just say, Oh, I like that too. Um, it's not like that in the room. People are, are very rigid behind their guy or a girl. And that's just how it is. I think that I never really quite got that from the television set. All right, Carol, this is also something you don't see on television. During every commercial break, the candidates can walk around, they can interact, they can discuss, they can get their makeup touched up. Um, yep. Did you see, and this is not on air, did you see the candidates interact very much? Did there seem to be any good rapport? Did there seem to be any frostiness? Like, how would you assess the commercial breaks as somebody who was actually there on the ground? I'm actually yeah. fascinated by this. Because sometimes you can see, oh, these guys are allies. Oh, these guys really hate each other. Did you pick up any body language, anything from the commercial breaks that those of us watching didn't see? I'd say, and I know this did come across in the debate, but a lot of the candidates viscerally do not like Vivek. (laughs) He's just... He's very much the odd man out here where they kind of all know each other. Maybe they like each other. Maybe they, you know, will attack each other, but still not like personally. I thought, for example, Nikki Haley's line that she gets dumber every time she listens to Vivek was kind of over the line. Um, but I saw DeSantis and Vivek have a nice conversation at one point. Uh, I think I saw, you know, um, Christy and Nikki kind of laugh at something together. So there is interaction, um, but they do mostly go over to their spouse or their family and they get like, it's not a talk then like a little like they fix their hair or um i saw casey desantis you know fix uh ron desantis's shirt it was it was it's very nice to see them with their families like mike pence had his grandchildren there it was really cute i think that vivek vivek and uh ron were probably comparing you know sat scores you know that would be quite an epic <laughs> an epic battle between those two or who, who had a higher gpa at at yale um, but let me, uh, let me just pivot here for a second. I mean, if you, mm-hmm. Carol, had to pick one thing, one moment that you thought was the biggest standout of the night, what was it? Hmm. Um, you know, I, I think Nikki going ham on all the other candidates <laughs> was sort of interesting because I think she was always trying to be kind of above all of that. And I think some of her comments were really, really stark and different from her normal personality. So to me, that stood out. Um, I don't know whether that's good or bad. I saw some polls after the debate, you know, saying that she won because I think a lot of people really like the excitement of those digs and those jabs. Um, In general, though, I think these debates don't get to any of the real issues and they they absolutely don't cover the ground that Republicans would like to see covered. My column today in the New York Post urges it to come down to like two candidates that can debate each other if donald trump wants to show up that's great it will be three but let's let's limit it to who can be on the stage so we can actually hear real ideas and a real path forward for the country carol i said that to me and i and i agree with that basically to to me the race is down to trump obviously and then Mm -hmm. desantis and nikki haley i don't think anybody else could and and really it's desantis versus nikki haley let's see which of those is going to be the emerging alternative and then everybody else needs to get out of the race. Now, I'm curious if you would agree, one. Two, is anybody actually going to get out of the race? Because if they don't, 
then Trump's going to be the nominee. There's actually not a lot of competition here because they're going to continue to soak up their three or four percent. And Trump is going to stay. He's going to have the, the, the majority. Right. How did which we saw play out in 16. Yeah. And and in 16, one of the things that always, you know, kind of bothered me was that Kasich stayed in the race even after he was mathematically eliminated. Like, what was he thinking was going to happen? They were just going to sub him in at the end. Um, and so you're absolutely right. They can't keep going like this. If half the party, which is, you know, the, basically the numbers, Trump has 50 percent support, which is really high. So I don't know why Trump fans get upset at me when I say that half the party doesn't want him. But that's the case. Half the party wants somebody else. The fact that that somebody else is split up by 10, 15, et cetera, percent is a different story. To me, Ron DeSantis is sort of the revolutionary post-Trump candidate. And Nikki Haley, for better or worse, is the very traditional Republican candidate. Now, that candidate wins sometimes. George W. Bush won two terms. And then, of course, John McCain and Mitt Romney did not. So I get why people are drawn to Ron DeSantis and to Nikki Haley, and I'd love to hear their version of what the future will look like for the Republican Party do, actually articulated without like any of these stupid, you know, sideshow jabs. Do you agree that basically everybody else is done? I mean, with my assessment that it's Nikki Haley, it's it's DeSantis and it's Trump. Yes, absolutely. That is absolutely right. And it would be great to have the three of them on stage. What are the visions for the future from these three people who are splitting up the Republican Party support largely? But what about Doug B, my man Doug Burgum? Would you give him an honorable mention, Carol? I felt like he actually acquitted himself well up there. He didn't get that much time, but I thought he did a pretty good job. So his family, every time there's like a lull in the debate, they scream out Burgum as if to like remind the <laughs> that is awesome. that he exists. Um, he, yeah, he said some interesting stuff. I like, I like all of these people mostly. Um, and I, I, you know, I, I get that it's disappointing that he's at 1% or whatever and somehow is still on this debate stage, but that's just the way it is. And I, I, you know, I had never heard of him honestly before this, before his presidential campaign, which really is saying something. Um, so yeah, he's, he's, he seems like a nice guy. He's got some good ideas, but his poll numbers, and I know polls aren't everything, but they really are something to get on the debate stage, uh, are so low that I, I don't see how he should be included in the next one. Okay. So Buck and I just had a discussion and we're two dudes. So we probably, uh, and we're excited to have your podcast alongside of Tudor Dixon. <laughs> we're two dudes. So I don't know that I'm, or either of us are particularly adroit at discussing this. You mentioned how aggressive Nikki Haley was, and some people are going to really like that. Uh, I, I described her as metaphorically like walking around with a knife, and you never know who she's going to stab next, right? Like that is pretty right. uh, pretty good television, right? Um, yeah. They always say like if you want to have a somebody stick, like uh, have a loaded gun, and at some point you know it's going to go off on television. Like people watch to yeah. see what's going to happen. But when Trump is a jerk, uh, he is able to be a jerk because people are like, okay, that's just how alpha males are. Uh, other guys uh, in debate can get away with that because they're like, okay, that's just kind of masculine energy. That's how dudes are. They fight, they brawl, and people sometimes are attracted to that. Now, sometimes they're repulsed, but I think men have a more lenient standard there. What challenges yeah. does Nikki Haley have with that being the aggressor, that being the person walking around with a knife that's different from a woman perspective as you see it? Or, or is there a difference? Am I wrong in it? Is, is even that a sexist yeah. question to ask? No, not at all. But it's so cute that you guys think that women are less vicious than men. <laughs> um, Nikki, Nikki, I think the expect—that's uh, a great point. That's a great point. 
I think the expectation is for viewers that women are less vicious than men. But yes, that's a that's a great that's right. a great point. Yes. <laughs> I think Nikki was able to get away with those attacks because she's a woman. Um I think that there would have been some so I think like they're barely being mentioned today. I you know, I, I don't think that the fact that she said that to Vivek is even in the conversation today and I'm still thinking about it. I'm still thinking like, wow, that was really over the line. And and it really didn't resonate with me because for all the things that I don't like about Vivek, it's not that he's dumb and it's not yeah. that his comments are dumb. Um so yeah, I, I think that she got away with saying some things that a man maybe even wouldn't get away with saying. Um, you know, other than Trump of course. I've always Tara, said where, by where, the way, Tara, I I need to ask her where she is on the great Biden will or will not be the nominee debate of 2023. Oh, that is a great question. <laughs> well, you know, Clay Travis and I have uh, a bet where um, we're going to be owed each other dinner. If he says that Gavin Newsom will be the nominee and I say it's going to be Joe Biden um, or Kamala Harris, right? If something happens to Joe okay, Biden. Okay, you're on Biden-Harris team, which means you agree oh, with 100%. the Buckster, which means that your money is safe, Carol. You can tell your husband <laughs> that there's not going to be any big outlay on stake purchases because – Clay's realizing this window for the Biden switch is getting mighty, mighty small. Carol, uh, get Kamala off the, off the stage. There's just no way to do that. It'll be racist and sexist if they don't. No, it's going to be interesting. Uh, so it kind of would be a little racist and sexist. Potentially. Yes. Uh, last question for you, Carol, and this is super important Mm -hmm. that your Dallas Cowboys. Just got absolutely yeah. wrecked by the Arizona Cardinals. Twelve and a half point favorite. Has the Markowitz family recovered from the usual letdown from the Dallas Cowboys? You know, we were on the road. There were some injuries. <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna come back from this. We're gonna come back stronger than ever because that's the Dallas Cowboys do, Clay. <laughs> yeah, it's only been twenty five years since you were in a game that matters. But yeah, I'm sure at some point it'll happen. Carol, can you tell us what the name of the podcast is yet? Or are you holding that back? It's the Carol Markowitz Show, and oh. you two uh, will be my first guest individually. I'm going to ask some questions you maybe have not been asked before, and I really hope everyone tunes in. Fantastic. Carol Markowitz, everybody, please subscribe to Clay and Buck Podcast. You can hear, hear Carol there, and also check out her columns in the New York Post. Thanks so much, Carol. Thanks so much, guys. She's great. That that podcast, Buck, you know this. I mean, we're excited to have her with us. I think you guys are really, really going to enjoy that. Uh, alongside a tutor, a lot of people listening, millions of you downloading Tutor's podcast now. It's killing it. Uh, I think Carol's podcast is going to do outstanding as well. You can get that by going and subscribing to the Clay Travis Buck Sexton Show. You'll be able to check it out. Uh, knowledge, competitive advantage. If you're a high school grad declaring yourself an undergrad at Hillsdale College, you're already one step ahead because every undergraduate on the Hillsdale campus is required to take at least one class learning about our nation's most enduring document, the Constitution. Hillsdale College vigorously defends and explains our nation's freedoms. We have those freedoms because our founding fathers drafted and voted on our Constitution, and millions of men and women have fought to defend our freedoms. If you'd like to refamiliarize yourself with our Constitution and our Declaration of Independence, Hillsdale's offering to send you a copy of each for free. It matters that much to them. Get your free copy at clayandbuck4hillsdale.com. Hillsdale's goal is to give away a million copies of the Constitution. Get your own free copy or one you can give away to someone else that will benefit. Go to clayandbuck4hillsdale.com. Form is simple. You'll receive your booklet by mail without paying shipping. Reserve your copy. clayandbuck4hillsdale.com. That's clayandbuck4hillsdale.com. 
Download and use the new Clay and Buck app. Listen to the program live. Catch up on any part of the show you might have missed. Find every podcast as they're released and listen. Find the Clay and Buck app in your app store and make it part of your day. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on, but we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast, and this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts. Of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carmen and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose Podcast. On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear, navigating the changes in relationships, and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. This conversation shows a never-seen-before side to Orlando Bloom and his unique life journey. I think we all struggle sometimes to really deeply believe that we are enough that we're valued, that we're valuable. You know, we're imprinted by our parents from the age of zero to seven, right? Mm. I'm constantly trying to go like, how do I detach from my, this idea of what, do, is, that, is that my baggage? I look like my baggage. I mean, I know, okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back in, Clay Travis, Buck Sexton Show. Uh, we talked about this for a while. I think both Buck and I responded very well uh, to what I thought was one of the only actually provocative arguments. I guess you can argue that DeSantis saying that he would raid the cartels and blow them up is it's a pretty aggressive position, but he's, he said that I, for a while. I actually disagree with him on some of that a little bit, too. So I, I Based on your that. intelligence background, you think that would be a mess? Um. Yes, for thinking that we're going to be able to, first of all, the government of Mexico would absolutely have to be 100% on board. The government of Mexico is incredibly corrupt. The cartels have infiltrated at the highest levels the security services of the government of Mexico. This isn't going to be cross-border raids in, uh, in, you know, Waziristan in Pakistan with drones where you're like in a little village and no one's going to know what's going on. This would be going into Guadalajara. This would be going into major Mexican population centers and going up against cartel leaders. People forget this when I think it was one of El Chapo's, I think it was one of his kids, um, was at one point under arrest or one of his top lieutenants was under arrest. I can't remember. 
They shut down a whole city, Clay. They yeah. deployed guys with 50 caliber, uh, 50 caliber rifles and belt fed machine guns and said, basically, let our guy go. We're just going to start chewing everything up. I mean, the notion that we're going to send guys in there and this isn't going to be an absolute mess. Look, do I think there's room for greater cooperation? Yes. Do I think, but the real answer is lock down the border. Cause if we're going to, if we think we're going to be doing spec ops raids against all the, all the cartel guys, how are we going to find them? Who's going to go after them? I mean, we've tried this kind of thing before. I think it's way more, I think it's a major and very complicated fight. I'm not saying it's impossible to do some of this, but it's not as easy as just, you know, send in the, uh, 82nd airborne. Okay. So, um, that was provocative and it is something that has not been discussed widely. The other thing, and you probably have heard both Buck and, and myself talk about this a lot, that we have to fix the border. And the way to fix the border, when you really dial that drill down to the root causes, there are two reasons why people come to America. One is jobs. They can make way more money if they get here than they can make in whatever country they're in now. Second one is they want to have kids who become American citizens because of birthright citizenship. That is, if you are an illegal immigrant and you cross our border and get onto United States soil, your children are American citizens. Birthright citizenship is a vestige of colonialism. It doesn't exist in most of the rest of the world. It is being taken advantage of, and it is a primary incentive factor to drive people here. Vivek Ramaswamy said he would end birthright citizenship. Here is that answer. Listen. I favor ending birthright citizenship for the kids of illegal immigrants in this country. Now, the left will howl about the Constitution and the 14th Amendment. The difference between me and them is I've actually read the 14th Amendment. What it says is that all persons born or naturalized in the United States and subject to the laws and jurisdiction thereof are citizens. So nobody believes that the kid of a Mexican diplomat in this country enjoys birthright citizenship. Not a judge or legal scholar in this country will disagree with me on that. Well, if the kid of a Mexican diplomat doesn't enjoy birthright citizenship, then neither does the kid of an illegal migrant who broke the law to come here. I think he's right. 100%. We both think he's right. Um, The argument may turn on uh, subject to the, I mean, you are, even if you're not an American, correct. In America, just like Americans are subject to jurisdictions, uh, you know, abroad. In the right? foreign you country know. that you're in, you don't get to have your laws travel with you to Honduras, for instance. Yes. So, you know, you are subject to the jurisdiction you are in. Um, so I think where the legal fight on this one may turn, assuming somebody's willing to actually go there and, and try to do this would be, well, they are, you know, they are subject to U.S. jurisdiction, you know, they're subject to U.S. jurisdiction. I understand. I, I don't think that's right. I think that the proper um, way to view this is what he laid out, which is essentially, if you, let's say you come here as an illegal immigrant from uh, from Venezuela, we've been talking about that a lot. Uh, you're really subject for the purposes of citizenship. You are subject to the jurisdiction of Venezuela, right? You are, you, you know, that that's the way it should be viewed the same way that. People who are Americans who are deployed to military bases, you know, you are under U.S. sovereignty and UCMJ when you're abroad. It's not, oh, I'm, I'm living in Germany. So like now I'm in Deutschland. Like I <laughs> yeah, just live by right. Deutschland rules. Like that's not actually how it goes. Um, so yeah, that's, I think the, uh, that was the most interesting way to put this. That was the most, in- I'm sorry, interesting, um, moment 
that Vivek had there up up on the stage. You know, the people say this. I, I don't really hear a good answer. Trump brought this up. Yeah. And said he was going to do it. And then I think it was one of these things where the advisors or something told them don't do it, right? I mean, what, yep. you know, what, what was the, why didn't he do it? I mean, my answer would be, I guarantee they polled it and they were like, you're going to run for reelection, sir. I do think that the under discussed element of a potential Trump second term, and this is true for any second term is you're done. So if there are things that you want to get done that may be controversial or may not poll that well, it's the second term, the first couple of years where you decide to do it. So I would start to say some of those things if I were Trump. Hey, I'm letting it rip because I'm not ever going to be president again. I'm going to really do everything that I said I was going to do. And maybe just be honest, because I guarantee you, sometimes political reality dictates that they go back and they say, hey, sir, turns out if you end birthright citizenship, you drop X percent in these states where you need to do well. Um, I also think part of this is, Buck, is just the way you make the argument. Um, and I, I make the argument in my book, an American playbook, because I dove into this. There isn't really a good defense of the history behind birthright citizenship. It makes some sense in the context of, hey, you, know, you used to have to get on. We had Bill O'Reilly yesterday, and he was like, hey, you know, when you got on the boat in Ireland and you were trying to come to Massachusetts Bay Colony, that was a multi-month trip. And so most people who got on boats and came to this country never went back because it was expensive and because it was so incredibly difficult to make that trip in the first place. The idea of birthright citizenship didn't exist for hypersonic jet travel. You know, the idea that you could get on a plane in China and land in LA, whatever it is, 14 hours later, all the time. This is a business. I mean, people make money. It's illegal, but people make money doing this, running these birth uh, hotels effectively, um, and, or, you know, like citizenship hotels, whatever they call them. And, uh, they, they investigate this. You're not supposed to be doing this, but the system that we have does incentivize this. And the system that we have hasn't figured out or no one has, has brought this challenge at least. So we get full clarity on where this is all going. Yeah. Trump, I, I I looked this up, Clay, um, on the fly here. Trump said in 2018, he was going to sign an executive order. Um, ending birthright citizenship. Uh, he said in October of 2018, you can definitely do it with an act of Congress, but now they're saying I can do it with an executive order. Um, and uh, that executive order did not get signed. Yeah. Now he is saying, to be clear, that this would be signed his first day in office this time around. So you may be right. It might have had to be a, uh, I guess in 2018, a political calculation or 20, early 2019. I, I think I would bet that his advisor said, sir, that's a risky move to make. Remember, Trump, I believe, would have won comfortable re-election but for COVID. The the idea, it wasn't just that COVID happened. It was that COVID happened in March of an election year. Yeah. And that's why a lot of people out there who are listening to us right now find, you know, the idea this came out of a Chinese lab is not at all, I don't think, if you look at the evidence, controversial to say. We've been, you and me have been saying that for years. That's what the evidence reflected. There are some people that will take the next step and say, this wasn't an accidental release. I'm not willing to go there, but the fact that this happened in an election year is certainly one that makes your eyebrows go up. There isn't a year that this could have happened that would have been more um, 
destructive in terms of the American body politic than during an election year. And by the way, not an election year buck when it's like Mitt Romney against Barack Obama. Two relatively, generally speaking, blandly inoffensive nerds kind of throwing punches at each other. Instead, you got Donald Trump on the ballot. So I just think this is a, the whole concept here factors in, but I would bet they said to Trump, this doesn't make sense to do in your first term. Let's do it second term. And he was planning to do it in the second term. That would be my guess. Uh, as we kind of break this down, we'll take some of your calls to close up shop here on the Thursday edition of the program. Try to run through them fast. Give us your reaction, your biggest takeaways from the debate last night. We will hit you coming back, 800-282-2882. Tunnel Towers Foundations, let us do good village in Land Lakes, Florida, community that will have about 100 homes for the Foundations program participants. Community just north of Tampa, first families have already moved in, One of them's a Gold Star family, another a family of a severely injured service member given a smart home to help navigate mobility challenges. The Let Us Do Good Village is a special place where families can heal together. It's a community where the children of our nation's fallen or severely injured heroes can grow up and experience life surrounded by support and understanding. All thanks to an extraordinary donation of many acres of land and your generosity. Help America's greatest heroes and their families heal together. Make the Let Us Do Good Village the first of many communities like it. With every mortgage-free home, the foundation makes good on its promise to do good and never forget the sacrifices our heroes have made for our country and our communities. Donate $11 a month to Tunnel the Towers at T2T.org. That's T, the number two, T.org. Don't miss a minute of Clay and Buck and get behind-the-scene access to special content for members only. Subscribe to CNB 24-7. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos' picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like, I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Michael Rappaport. And I'm Kibi Rappaport. And together we're hosting Rappaport's Rappaport's Reality Podcast. Podcast. We have a passion for reality TV, and we're inviting you into our living room. We're dissecting the drama, and we're giving praise to the single greatest form of entertainment on television today. That is right. Reality TV is the greatest form of entertainment on television today. Listen to Rappaport's Reality starting May 8th on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.